catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. Fanny Pigwad, Ndongo Samba Sila, and Thomas Fazi in the summary of their book, Africa's Last Colonial Currency, the Sifa Frank, are closest to what I had in mind as an introduction for this episode. So listen carefully to the summary that they gave to their book. Colonialism persists in many African countries due to the continuation of imperial monetary policy. This is the little known account of the Sifa Frank and economic imperialism. The Sifa franc was created in 1945, binding 14 African states and splitting to two monetary zones. Why did French colonial authorities create it and how does it work? Why was independence not extended to monetary sovereignty for former French colonies? End of quote. In the review of the same book, Bobaka Boris Diop, a Senegalese novelist and essayist, says, For decades, the Sifa Frank question has been, for the elite of Francophone Africa, more than a mere taboo subject, a sort of shameful word. Tongues are starting to loosen, and this book comes at a perfect time. End of quote. Well, another reviewer, Anthony Victor Obeng, author of Decolonizing Africa and African Development, the 21st Century Pan-Africanist Challenge, says this book makes the Sifa Frank's role in the perpetration of French neocolonialism in Africa all too visible, thereby adding to the arsenal of knowledge for the decolonization of Africa and African development. When on April 27, 2022, the cryptic message of President Faustin Akhange broke the internet, the Central Africa Republic became the first African country and the second globally to approve Bitcoin as a legal tender, adding the Central Africa Republic to the list of world boldest and visionary countries of 2022. The president acted alongside the unanimous vote of the lawmakers to make this happen. This law would ensure the legal framework for cryptocurrency regulation in the conflict-torn country, which is one of the world's poorest, but also rich in diamonds, gold, and uranium. Though regional and international financial organizations spoke up against this move, some financial experts argue that this could boost financial inclusion in developing countries like the Central Africa Republic. The president seemed to be following the Elon Musk style of cryptic cryptocurrency tweets when the announcement was made. The Central Africa Republic's Bitcoin announcement left many scratching their heads and some wondering if it had more to do with a political shift away from France and maybe tending eastwards to Russia. Since the focus in this episode tends towards the issue of colonization and human rights, I had an interesting chat with the Chief Strategy Officer of the Human Rights Foundation and the co-organizer of the Oslo Freedom Forum, Alex Gladstein, on the relationship between this move by the Central Africa Republic and decolonization or the fight for freedom, financial freedom inclusive. So where do we start? Uh, let's start with the idea of money and how it is connected with colonialism. Uh, I think that's a good way to start. Sure. I mean, look, uh, there's a vast history of money uh, to basically solve the what's called the double coincidence of wants, where if you 
produced shoes and someone else fished, you had a bunch of fish and they had shoes and it was kind of hard to trade. So you needed some good um, that didn't really have any other purpose but to be money um, to use as a trade trading kind of option. And that, and that, that was what salt, gold, all kinds of metals, glass beads, uh, wampums. There were many, many things, seashells that, that functioned as money in different times of human history. In the last several hundred years, uh, money shifted away from being a commodity uh, and in having any sort of intrinsic value in the money that we used day to day in most places and became essentially a piece of paper uh, that would indicate a promise to pay some commodity, right? So, so many people over the last several hundred years started using notes or bills as day-to-day money. Those notes of bills, of course, were just pieces of paper, but they were promises to pay some amount of, let's say, gold somewhere else. Um, these pieces of notes were eventually stripped of their promise to pay gold, let's say, and they just became promises to pay um, from governments. Then you were trusting that government to be able to hold the value of that currency, right? Um, eventually, we saw the digitization of money and the rise of credit cards and mobile banking. But in today's world, it's fair to summarize money as something that is essentially a credit provided to you by a company, whether it be usually a bank or a financial services company that allows you to buy things. It is not in today's world a commodity like gold anymore for for the vast majority of people on earth. Uh, Money is something that they get from a bank or a financial services company that exists on their mobile phone. Perhaps they interface with it on a computer. And it is something that is regulated by governments, meaning governments kind of control, let's say, the price of money and the rules about money. But generally speaking, private companies kind of manage the money in a day-to-day scenario for the world today. That's kind of where we are with money today. Now there's a big disruptive force coming in, and that's Bitcoin. Bitcoin is digital money that is not controlled by governments or corporations. So that's a really big difference. Bitcoin is something that is decentralized and cannot be uh, changed. Its issuance, the amount of Bitcoin cannot be changed by governments or corporations, cannot be censored, it cannot be confiscated if used properly. Now, the rise of Bitcoin also spawned an enormous number of other cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Now, these um, almost more similar to the existing money than to Bitcoin. They all can be controlled by some small group of people or institution. So the most popular ones beyond Bitcoin are stable coins, right? Like Tether, um, which is very, very popular in, for example, West Africa. Tether is a virtual dollar. It is something that's generated by people depositing quote unquote real dollars into a bank. And then that, that institution issues tethers. Um, and these tethers can be traded and used around the world w- without a bank account. So they're actually performing a pretty useful service for a lot of people. Um, but th- they're completely controlled and centralized by the issuer. Uh, then you have just this vast variety of tokens, which are created by small teams of people, the biggest of which is Ethereum. And then there's just like thousands of little tiny ones that aren't worth anything. These are basically monies that are printed into thin air, and there's a small group of people who get to control, you know, how much will exist, uh, you know, what are the rules, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you have cryptocurrencies um, that are floating tokens, you have stable coins, and then you have Bitcoin. And these things are all very, very different. It's very important to understand how different they are. 
they're almost as different from each other as as Bitcoin is from you know uh, money that you'd have at your bank account. And then of course, like when we look at the fiat currencies, they're very different. Really, the world runs on dollars. Dollars are like world. Um, it's what everybody really wants. They don't necessarily want shillings or, or naira or pesos or lira. They would much rather have dollars if they could get them. It's just that lo local governments like use force to enforce uh, usage of local currency. So you have to pay your taxes in these local currencies. There's capital controls on foreign reserves like dollars, et cetera, et cetera. So the world has like 180 some odd fiat currencies. And, and that's not a free market phenomenon. That's in a sort of a state politically enforced phenomenon. And that, that's kind of the overview of the environment of, of money today. So I've heard someone also question the idea of state-controlled money, and he just mentioned it again. So I ask him why we need to move away from the state-government-controlled idea of money. You know, this isn't a new thing with the young people in Africa who, in practice, seem to be moving away from it. But in theory, it really doesn't make much sense to a lot of people. So why? Why, why do we need to move away from the state-controlled um, idea of money um, or the government-controlled idea of money? Look, I think it depends on where you live and where you are and I guess how much, let's say, financial privilege you have. Like if you live in Switzerland, the Swiss franc is pretty good. Like it, it's pretty solid. You know, you don't have double digit inflation. It can be used anywhere. It's accepted anywhere in the world. So if you live in Switzerland, for example, uh, maybe the government money is doing a pretty good job. Issued money is terrible, is literally terrible. I mean, uh, for billions of people, their currency is inflating away. You know, they double or even triple digit in some cases inflation. Like, you know, Sudan, for example, has three or 400% inflation. Um, you know, so this money is not preserving their time and effort. Um, oftentimes, it is manipulated in a dramatic fashion. So for example, these monies can be de debased very quickly. Like, so for example, I believe uh, Malawi, uh, a few days ago, um, the central bank just sort of decided to uh, weaken the currency arbitrarily, uh, in, you know, the government I, I think diluted the currency by a quarter, a third or something like that. And that, that just, you know, immediately wipes out, you know, savings from people. Mm -hmm. You know, in West Africa, there's this history of the colonial French CIFA currency, which um, was devalued from when it was created in the 40s until today. It's been devalued more than 99%. So basically, the wages and earnings of people making CIFA have been stolen for, for, you know, from them by colonial powers. Um so, you know, for a small number of people in this world, uh, money, government issued money has been a positive thing that's empowered them. But for most people, it's been a tool of control and exploitation. As protests against the colonial currency grows, the need for myth busting on the CIFA franc is vital. And this expose of colonial infrastructure proves that decolonization is unfinished business. For those who do not understand why the CIFA system is described as a colonizer's tool, Alex summarizes quite succinctly here. Uh, help us better understand how, um, how bad it is, a situation for the Africans, especially those people um, in the rural areas who do not exactly have access to this, and those who um, continue to struggle um, to attain a particular height or a level of um, financial freedom. Well, I mean, the CIFA system was is a colonial system, and it exists to give benefit and privilege to the French and to 
exploit the African population. Basically, it's a system whereby the French decide all the rules uh, historically of of the money. They decide, you know, how much it's worth, um, how much should be printed. Uh, when a country like the Ivory Coast, for example, would earn national income, it would be stored historically in Paris, um, where the French would get cheap. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, they would get to earn interest on it or loan it out. Um, and if any of the CIFA countries wanted to borrow, they'd have to borrow at extortionate rates from the French. If any of the CIFA countries wanted to install like new infrastructure, they would have to uh, ask the French first. So the French would get first right of refusal, um, and they would, you know, they, they would charge above market rates for those services. Um, and then, and then, if the French said no, we we can't help that, then then they could go off to some other country. Similarly, when when let's say these countries would export, whether it be um, uranium or timber or coffee or whatever, those things would have to be sold to the French first at below market price before being able to be sold elsewhere. All of the flows into the CIFA system would go through Paris and and through the the sort of two later on the two. Uh, central banks in, in Central and West Africa that control the CIFA system. Um, these currencies in their uh, civilian form are not convertible, meaning if you live in, let's say, Senegal, like you can't bring your CIFAs with you to France or America. They're useless outside the country. You have to convert them before you leave, and you have to pay your colonial master a certain amount to do so. So, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a comically bad currency. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it exists at the pleasure of the issuer. The problem is that the French were able to convince a bunch of dictators to enforce this system. And, you know, to this day, only, you know, f 14 of the 15 CIFA zone countries, you know, have never seen any meaningful democratization. And, you know, the legacy can just be seen in their poverty. I mean, this is, you're talking about 10 of these countries are some of the poorest in the world. I mean, Chad, Niger, Guinea-Bissau, etc. So, um, it's, it's a terrible tragedy of monetary colonialism that is, you know, obviously still, still a big deal for uh, almost 200 million people um, across Central and West Africa. And the basics of it just shows that it totally discourages growth development of the countries themselves and even the domestic industries that are in the country. The Central Africa Republic seemed to have taken, um, what I say, big jump. Um, with the adoption of Bitcoin just very recently. What are your thoughts on this? And um, how do you think this will play out for the Central African Republic? Because history has shown that anytime a country tries to get out of the shadow of France, uh, it, it seems like a lot of bad things actually happen. Certainly, historically, all through the 90s, from the 40s to the 90s, when countries tried to break out, they got punished. In, especially during decolonialization in the late 50s and early 60s, uh, there were numerous leaders that tried to issue their own currency and the French um, either assassinated them in a straightforward manner or, or wrecked their country. You can look at Operation Purcell in the example um, of Guinea, uh, or, or you can look at um, the assassination uh, of, of the first democratically elected leader of Togo as another one. Uh, throughout the years, you saw more. You saw coups in Niger, after the government wanted to raise the price of uranium, you saw, you saw, you saw. Obviously, look what happened to uh, Sankara and many others. Uh, now, the, you know these leaders weren't, you know, <laughs> these leaders were not Democrats. A lot of them, let's put it that way. But the policy was quite clear. 
if you were a dictator and you agreed to, in, you know, to integrate the CIFA, um, the French would support you and they continue to do so. I mean, Macron went to the, um, President Macron went, went to the funeral of the Chadian dictator recently. I mean, this is, this is how, you know, important the system remains for France. I mean, today, um, there are many more CIFA, CIFA zone citizens than there are French citizens. That, that, that wasn't the case in the 40s. There were more French than CIFA zone. Mm. But the birth rates are much higher in these African countries, and there's a lot more people. I mean, but there's going to be, by 2050, there's going to be 800 million people living in CIFA zone countries and less than 100 million in France. So you're, you're seeing a situation that increasingly resembles economic apartheid. Um, and people are sick of it. So there's protests. I mean, it's tough because there's these are norm, the most almost all these countries are dictatorial, so it's it's very hard to push for change. But there's obviously the French, the sort of France dégage um, movement. Uh, there's all kinds of things, but some people are pushing back through Bitcoin. So there's going to be a Bitcoin conference in Ghana in December seven to ten, AfroBitcoin.org, and I'm going to be there. And I think it'll be cool because it'll be it's being organized by Bitcoin users from CIFA zone countries. Who are who are pushing, you know, for a decolonial currency, for a currency that's not controlled by a foreign power or by a dictator, for that matter. So there are some arguments for first ensuring. There are some arguments for first ensuring that most of these CIFA zone countries are stable, seeing that most of them are facing unrest or violence. You know, before jumping on the financial decolonization train. With the introduction of tools like Bitcoin, usher in the change that is much needed in these countries? I mean, well, it remains to be seen. I mean, Central African Republic is one of the poorest countries in the world. It doesn't have a lot of, there's very few banked in the country. Very few people have access to the internet or electricity even. Um, but for those who do, this could be helpful. I mean, it's very difficult to do commerce with, CIFA, with the CIFA currency. I mean, it's, it's just... It's almost designed to make it hard to do commerce and to, and to hard to, and make it hard for countries to develop. So to have you know a borderless, permissionless, global, decentralized currency as an alternative for businesses and citizens to use to do remittances, to do payments, to do commerce, like that's going to be very helpful. So we'll see. I mean, I think it'll have a, a, a good impact over time for those um, who are connected. I mean, obviously, it can't really help. Uh, a great many in the country. Um, but I think for an increasing number of, of emerging market countries, you're going to see them turn to Bitcoin in some way. Now, these points are very important. The Central African Republic has little or no electricity and many do not have internets. But of course, let's see how this plays out. Finally, let's consider the ECO and the CBDCs launched by Nigeria and Ghana, the ENIRA, the ECD, and others like it, and the role they have to play in ensuring that Africans are truly free from the shackles of colonial monetary control. I mean, they're, the, 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 the rise of them would be generous. I mean, they're not being rolled out very quickly. The French are have been trying to disrupt plans to do this. They want the CIFA to remain as long as possible so they can extract value from their plantations, essentially. Um, you know, will this eventually be replaced by some sort of CBDC? Maybe. Uh, CBDCs face a lot of functional issues, but they are better tools of controls, control and surveillance in many ways. So I think this is going to be a bigger and bigger problem for folks uh, all over the world, in Latin America, in Asia, in Eastern Europe, in America, and in, and in Africa, everywhere. Um, so um, 
look, people can fight back and they can they can build systems that that, that rely and use then use Bitcoin, which which again is not controlled by by any dictator or foreign power. So it's a it's an, it's a very interesting plan B. Two months after making his country the second in the world after El Salvador to adopt Bitcoin as an official currency alongside the CIFA franc and legalize the use of cryptocurrencies. President Faustine Arkhanj Tordera officially announced during an online event the construction of its own cryptocurrency, the Sango, and the future first African crypto hub with zero taxation. These two are part of a new digital system powered by the blockchain technology. No concrete details were given on the modalities and timetable for the creation of this Shango coin and the crypto island, except that the platform will allow its virtual currency to become the catalyst for the tokenization of the vast natural resources of the Central African Republic, which is also a bit questionable. Now, this initiative named after the official language alongside French comes in the midst of the global cryptocurrency crisis, where the price of Bitcoin is in a free fall and many crypto platforms are facing bankruptcy. Well, fast forward to about three months after declaring with much applause that the country was adopting Bitcoin as an official currency alongside its local currency, the Central African Sifa franc, President Faustine Ahanj Tuadera declared that the country is freezing the application of the law adopting Bitcoin as an official currency until the Bank of Central African States issue regulations for cryptocurrency throughout the Central African Economic and Monetary Community. We cannot determine now what the future holds, would continue to monitor as it unfolds, and would also keep you abreast of what is happening and its implications. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.